Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1188 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday to begin the month of March. March is now here as you're listening or watching this podcast on YouTube. And that's a good time to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast, both on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and also on YouTube. It's been, I would say, driven into my brain in the last couple of weeks that YouTube subscriptions are huge. So if you are trying to support the podcast or if you just enjoy watching podcasts on YouTube or both, Please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link is in the description for this podcast, as well as on my social media at BT Roland on Twitter, as well as at Lockdown Hawks on Twitter. You can find the link. And I very, very much, much appreciate everyone's already done that and that we'll do that in the future. Today's episode will be all mailbag for the most part. And then at the very end of the show, we'll dive into Tuesday again between the Hawks and the Celtics taking place in Boston, a national TV game on Tuesday evening. So plenty to get into there. But as we kick off March in style, there's a lot of questions that I got, and thank you, by the way, to everyone that's submitted questions. I put some on the shelf for, for later. I had so many. That was, that's obviously a good problem to have. So I'm going to answer a bunch on this show, and then we'll sort of uh, keep a couple of those for down the line. Hopefully they're still applicable later on. But we'll dive right in here at the top with a question from Forrest, who asked me about buyout targets, and especially Gary Harris. He says, is there any chance that Gary Harris is in the buyout market, or is Harris even going to be bought out by the Magic? So... We're about that time. Actually, March 1st is the last date that a player can be waived by their current team and still be playoff eligible with a new team. And Harris would be pretty much by far, unless there's a huge shock that I'm unaware of, the best player on the market in terms of a buyout potential the Hawks could possibly get. But honestly, at the time of this recording on Monday night, not a given at all that he'll be actually available. And even if he is, Harris is going to have a bunch of suitors, which I know Hawks fans won't love to hear necessarily, but it's kind of tough to argue that Harris should choose the Hawks over all the options that he's probably going to have if he is bought out by the Magic because I would say every team almost in the league should want Gary Harris for the minimum price or something like that if he's bought out by the Magic. He's making a lot of money in Orlando, by the way. But with the Hawks, having Kevin Herter and Mike Madonovich at the same position, Gary Harris is a smaller two-guard. He's a pretty good defender for sure, but still a pretty much a one-position player at the two and given where the Hawks are on the standings, which we'll come back to later on a few different times on this podcast, I think it'd be a pretty surprising outcome to me if he were to both, A, get bought out, and then also choose to sign with the Hawks. Now, it could happen. It'd be great for the Hawks. He would help them. He's probably the only guy on the market that I would say definitively would certainly help the Hawks. He is that kind of player. He's a good two-way guy. But I think if he is bought out, he's probably likely to sign somewhere else. Um, and honestly, we might circle back on this a little bit later on to see who actually is bought out. One of the guys, Glenn Willis, Friend of the podcast brought up last week on this same show was Wayne and Gabriel. It was reported on Friday, on, sorry, on Monday. He's going to be, it was actually going to be uh, signing with the Lakers. So it's going to be moving fast and furious. By the time you listen to this podcast on Tuesday, a lot of this could be decided. But for now, the buyout market could be quiet. Obviously, the Hawks would love to get a two way forward, a defensive forward, but those guys are very difficult to sign, to be honest with you. Every team in the league wants those guys. So uh, we'll see who's available. It's probably going to be a low-cost option, if anything else. But the Hawks do have a roster spot right now. If they want to sign a 10-day guy or someone for the rest of the season or promote someone, et cetera, they have some flexibility that they have not quite utilized at this point in time. Uh, next question comes from Jack, who asks very simply, why can't this team put it all together consistently? So 
This is the million dollar question, very obviously. Uh, it's one that I've been trying to answer for a long time. And I will just give that caveat to say, I don't know the answer because if anybody knew the answer, it'd be easy for them to, always relatively easy for them to fix. Now, I'll be positive at the start and just say the Hawks have actually been pretty good over a decent sample size now. They're 12 and six in the last 18 games dating back to MLK Day. Um, that does include a dreadful loss to the Spurs that I've harped on many times and a couple more games that they probably could have won or maybe should have won along the way. But I will say this also about that 12 and six sample size, five of the six losses. Now, San Antonio is a bad loss, but the other five were to Toronto twice. That's a good team. To Dallas on the road. That's a good team. Boston on the road. That's a good team. Chicago on the road. That's a good team. So, you know, four of those losses came on the road. Five of all five of those losses, except for the Spurs loss, again, huge caveat there, um, were two pretty good teams. So those are all defensible losses. Some of those games that they probably should have won, like the Boston game, they were winning late, uh, one of the Toronto games, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing has been bad recently. I know the slow start has colored everything this season. It definitely matters, especially in the standings. But in terms of being consistent and turning things around, they have been much better, knock on wood, recently if you're a Hawks fan. Now, beyond the recent results, the obvious thing would be the defense. So for the season, the Hawks are still in the bottom five defensively. And the simple answer is that it's really, really hard to be good and consistent with a defense that is that bad by the numbers. They should be better than this. They can be better than this. And even with everything I've said about the defense, defensive talent not being so good this season, they can be better. And I think they will be better. They have been better actually a little bit recently. Um, for one thing, the numbers show they've been a little bit unlucky with opponent shooting this year on the whole. Now, caveats apply here. This, this does not explain all of it. But Cleaning the Glasses, which is a great site, has the Hawks number 16 in the league, so basically right in the middle of the league in what they're calling location-effective field goal percentage, which basically accounts for what the opponent should shoot on attempts that they're going to be getting against the Hawks or whatever team. And basically, it tries to adjust for shot quality and try to spit out a number with that said. It's not a perfect metric, but middle of the pack would be just fine for the Hawks. And right now, in that same metric in the actuals, the Hawks are number 26 in the league. So that explains a little bit of that shooting uncertainty would make the Hawks obviously perform a little bit worse. Also, in one particular asset, um, I would say three-point shooting on non-corner threes has been very hot for opposing teams against the Hawks. Those teams are shooting about 36% on non-corner threes against the Hawks this season, which is a bottom five mark in the league for the defense. Now, some of that, I have to say, is because of the Hawks and bad defense, particularly at the point of attack. They've had some breakdowns this year. They've allowed a lot of good looks. But – Probably not all of that. I would say some of that stuff has to do with the Hawks' defense, but not all of it. So long story short, the defense is the number one problem, number two problem, number three problem this year. And I've always said perimeter defense has been the biggest problem of when we sort of drill down a little bit beyond that. But even then, I think part of the consistency issues have been the Hawks being a little bit unlucky, just a little bit unlucky this year, and that accounts for a lot of it. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention is the not very good numbers in clutch situations which NBA.com defines clutch as the game being within five points in the last five minutes of the game. The Hawks are only 10 and 14 in those games, which is not terrible, quite honestly, but this is where you get crazy. The Hawks have a minus 18 clutch net rating in those games. That is terrible. It's like one of the five worst in the league in those spots. It's sort of an arbitrary cutoff, but it's a pretty good indicator of games that are at least competitive slash close, and the Hawks have not been good in those spots. Even on offense, where the Hawks have been awesome this season, they're shooting 23% from three in clutch situations and 41% from the field, which is also not very good either. So that sort of accounts for why the Hawks have been unable to win more games this year. And the Hawks have a plus 0.9 net rating for the season. That's not fantastic, but 
if you just go on that net rating accounting for that and, and, and the standings, they should be like 31 and 29 or 32 and 28, which again would be under where they're supposed to be, quote unquote, for this season in my mind. But that'd be a meaningful difference when compared to 29 and 31. If the Hawks were 32 and 28 right now, there'd be a lot less uh, negative chatter. Would there be some? Sure, because they will have earned it. But between the uh, sort of the noise there, they've been pretty bad in close games. They've been bad in clutch situations, which is not necessarily something you can bank on. But I will say, and I've said it before, the late offense is not very creative. And if Trey is getting double teamed or if he's not cooking, they don't have a lot of options, which is certainly a problem. But I would say the, the, number, two, the number two culprit uh, beyond the defense in terms of why they haven't been more consistent this year is not being able to win these close games. They've been pretty bad in close games. And it's just hard to have winning streaks and you know three out of fours and four out of fives if you can't win close games. So hopefully that answers the question. But as I said before, everyone's looking for why the Hawks can be more consistent this year. So hopefully that's a little bit of a window into what's transpired. And we'll see if they can fix it in the last 20-plus games. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, it's some more great questions from listeners and watchers on the podcast. It were from our sponsors on the show today. Football is over for a few months, but basketball is running in full steam in both pro and college hoops with all the latest odds, totals, player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs this season. And beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news throughout the year. And of course, not just basketball, even though we love basketball on this podcast, BetOnline has a full slate of offerings across the sporting landscape. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey and boxing, UFC, auto racing, golf, tennis, soccer, baseball, entertainment bets, horse racing odds, everything else you can think of, plus all of the props that you could possibly want. Head to BetOnline right now. Use mobile devices to learn all about what the trends and the action are telling you today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and we'll dive in now to another question from Tritton, who says, I feel like you answered this a few times, but what is the current projection in your mind for the Hawks in the playoff race? Do they still have a chance to get into the top six, or is that dream dead? So it's always changing my answer. I'm happy to answer the question always, and it's a good time to sort of catch up on that as March now arrives. I will say the second part of that question is the easier one. The Hawks have a chance, I want to stress chance, to get in the top six. But for example, basketball reference gives the Hawks a 2.9% chance right now to get into the top six as of Monday. Now, I might be higher than that, but I wouldn't be higher than 10%, let's just say. So if you look at the standings, which I've done a lot, I'm not going to do the whole thing again now, but the Hawks would have to go pretty crazy down the stretch and get help to get in the top six because they have four teams ahead of them in that pursuit, and they are several games behind. One of those teams is actually Boston, and they play on Tuesday. That would help them to sort of springboard a little bit. But when you have to pass more than one team, and it's actually four teams to get in the top six, the Hawks probably have to go realistically something like 18-4, and 19-3 and three to actually do that, and that is going to be difficult them to do so it's possible we've seen the hawks make runs like that in the past but i would say it's very very slim in terms of chances now my most reasonable projection for the hawks is honestly atlanta finishing ninth in the standings is what i pick if i had to choose one spot right now now i will say i think atlanta is better than charlotte and at this moment i'm recording on monday evening the hawks and the hornets are tied for the ninth spot into the 10th spot I think if I had to pick, the Hawks are better than them and they'll finish with a better record than the Hornets. That's why I would have them ninth. But I don't think I could flat out pick the Hawks to pass Brooklyn or Toronto right now, given that the Hawks trail the Nets and Raptors by multiple games at this point in time. Uh, and there's just, there's not, the sample size is just pretty small at this stage. It's not too tiny, but you, know, you have to root against these teams plus have your own success to pass them. It's possible, but I wouldn't pick it. Now, for one thing, um, the Nets, 
the the Nets, I would say, are more volatile than most teams because Kevin Durant uh, has been out for a while, and they've had a lot of uh, weaknesses, let's just say, without Kevin Durant in the lineup. But if he's back in the near future, I would not pick the Hawks past the Nets in the standings. But if he's out, the Hawks could certainly be uh, passing Brooklyn with a little bit more ease. Um, Toronto is more beatable, but the margin is larger right now in the standings. So I think the Hawks do have a pretty decent chance to get in the top eight right now. Not the top six, but the top eight, which means avoiding that 9-10 matchup. I would say probably in like a 30-40% range, something like that. But that means, of course, that inherently it's more likely that they will not finish in the top eight than they will in the top eight. So if I had to just choose one slot and do a flat-out prediction using the math and my own brain, I will say number nine in the East, probably playing against Toronto. Uh, sorry, play, playing against Charlotte in that 9-10 matchup. And then if you know if they lose that game, they're done. If they win that game, they have to play the loser of what's probably going to be Toronto and Brooklyn at this point in time in the 7-8. So we'll get into that later on. But I would say number nine and with a, with a live chance to make a run if they were to get things going at that point. Next question comes from Andrew. It's not Andrew Kelly. I want to stress this. Not Andrew Kelly, a uh, former guest on the podcast. I'm sure he'll be back on the podcast soon. Different Andrew this time around. But um, he asks, am I a bad fan for kind of wanting a lottery pick this season? So the short answer to that is no. I don't think that you are a bad fan if you want a lottery pick. In my experience, most Hawks fans are still wanting to win this season. I think that's totally reasonable given the Hawks have shown capable of making playoff runs like they did last year. But I think it's defensible, at least, to be looking ahead rather than right now because with everything I just said, you know, they can get into the play and all that stuff, but it's difficult to see. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's difficult to see the Hawks repeating their run to the Final Four again. And if you sort of value the future and you're looking like a titles versus just making the playoffs, you can might you might want a lottery pick instead. I also think more importantly in this answer, I think like the gatekeeping on fandom is something that people should not be doing. I think I've, I've done it before as well. I would not do this though. I think, especially if you're a fan of a team like the Hawks that has had challenges in the past building its fan base, you know, I, I know the diehards are great. I was one of them at one point, um, all that stuff. They, there, there are a lot of diehard Hawks fans, but in terms of the city size of Atlanta, the Hawks should have a bigger fan base than they do. Let's just be honest about that. And I think one way to keep people away from the Hawks, which you don't want if you're a Hawks fan in my mind, is to gatekeep on fandom. So um, I think daydreaming about a lottery pick is not the craziest thing I've heard by any means. I think that's totally reasonable. I'm sure people disagree with you if you were wanting the lottery pick versus actually making a run in the playoffs. And I can kind of see both sides of that. But I would say my short answer is definitely not in terms of uh, whether you're a bad fan for simply wanting a lottery pick this year. By the way, the last thing here that I would note is that even if the Hawks get into the lottery, they'd have pretty long odds of getting into the top four. So the gap between like pick 12 or pick 11 and pick 16 in this draft or pick even 18 in this draft, that could be very big. I don't think we haven't done a ton of draft content on, on this draft on this, on this podcast just yet, but I'll tell you this, it's pretty flat after the top four, five, six guys. So the gap there is not huge. There's always a chance that you get lucky in the lottery, but the Hawks might have had a ton of, a ton of success in terms of uh, ping pong balls in the past. And also, the Hawks would be actually in the lottery if they make the play-in and don't make the playoffs, which is also very possible. If the Hawks are the 9 or 10 seed, if they they can win a game in the play-in and still not make the playoffs. It's only the top eight. And if you're not in the top eight of the East, you are going into the lottery, even if you have very long odds. Next question comes from a different Andrew, actually. Um, and it, it's, it's actually funny. Um, not Andrew Kelly again. But why can't Okongwu grab a defensive rebound? It confuses me greatly. Okay, so I've talked about this before about Kongwu, and I'm not picking on him, I promise, but the one thing that he's not good at on defense right now is rebounding. 
And that's not me criticizing him. That's just the reality. It's very, very plain, both if you watch him and look at the numbers. So for his career, it's a very small sample size. It's two seasons, but it's, a, it's two small sample size seasons. But he has a 17.2% career defensive rebound rate right now. And this year, it's 16.5% per basketball reference. That is very low. That's like what you would want for maybe a power four, but even some small forwards are in that same range. That's not good for a primary center. And given what he's been doing role-wise, he's been playing at, he's been playing center almost always. So uh, for a center, that's not very good. I would say a lot of guys on the Hawks roster have lower rebound rates because, at least in part because, they play next to Capella, who is maybe the best rebounder in the entire world right now. But the Kongwu does not, does not have that excuse because he's, he's not playing with Capella. So cross that one off the list. Um, but this is not only an Kongwu thing. I will say the Hawks have some other guys that struggle on the glass. DeAndre Hunter is a bad defensive rebounder for his size and position, for example. But I alluded to this a second ago. Okongwu has the same defensive rebound rate this, this season as guys like DeAnthony Melton, who's a guard. Cade Cunningham has the same rebound rate as Okongwu. Trevor Ariza, an older perimeter-bound forward, has the same defensive rebound rate as Okongwu. Now, that's some cherry, making, some cherry picking there, but I will, just trust me when I say this. He has strongly below average defensive rebounding numbers for a center. So I think it's going to be some kind of concern for his entire career, at least partially some, some, some parts of his career, kind of like what was the case with Al Horford. Now, Al Horford was a multi-time All-Star at center for the Hawks, and it was also fair to say he was not a very good rebounder for a center. And that was a huge point of criticism at the time. I covered those teams. I also watched those teams intently. And there was always a contingent that hated Horford or didn't, or didn't like Horford because he couldn't rebound. And I get that. He was not a great rebounder. But the Hawks also managed to build top five defenses around a front court of Horford and Millsap, even though they were not good on the defensive glass. So you can do it. You can be good on the defensive glass. Uh, sorry, overall defensively without being great on the glass. But Okongwu is going to need to get better as a rebounder. That's for sure. Now, the good thing is that he's already making up for a lot of that with his mobility. He's so mobile and so athletic and so twitchy and versatile defensively as a center. He's also a very good rim protector for his size in particular, but even remove his size. Even if he was just a normal size center, he would already be a good rim protector. That's a huge, huge sign for a second-year guy. So there's a lot to be encouraged by defensively with the Kongu. I think he's going to be awesome. He's already quite good on defense. But he's got to get better as a box-out guy, and he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll figure that out. He'll get stronger. He'll get more crafty, et cetera. It's a weakness right now, to be sure, and I have to be honest about that. But at the same time, I think that there's no reason to believe that, he's gonna, that he'll be this bad for the duration. And um, even if he is a below-average rebounder on defense, pairing with Collins, by the way, who is a, you know, especially compared to regular power forwards these days, Collins is a good defensive rebounder. Um, at the four in particular, at the five, he wouldn't be great. But at the four in the modern NBA, that pairing can kind of work, but Kongu does have some work to do there. And we'll get into uh, all of that when it actually happens <laughs> in the future. And he's uh, playing with more sample sizes, play more minutes, et cetera. Okay, before we get to our last break and uh, a last uh, look ahead in terms of some stuff about playoff matchups and then a Celtics preview for Tuesday evening, a word from our sponsors on the show today. There are so many makes and models in the auto world these days, it's now impossible for your local chain store to stock all of the car and truck parts that you could possibly need. And even if they did, would you really want to go through all the pointless questioning, wait for the person behind the counter, look up the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand that they actually want to give you in their warehouse? Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, and that's a much better option. Why spend more for the same parts at a chain store or a dealership when you order them all at rockauto.com? 
RockAuto.com has been in business serving consumers for 20 years or more at this point, and RockAuto.com's prices are reliably low for each and every customer. They have absolutely everything you need for your car or your truck, including brake brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Check out the website right now at rockauto.com to find all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in the box that asks you how you heard about rockauto.com so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, and one question before we get into the Celtics preview, and that comes from Zach, uh, who asks, who is the most desirable playoff matchup for the Hawks not named Cleveland? That was his question. Um, to answer Zach's question, I think Cleveland is the best matchup for the Hawks in the playoffs among the realistic teams that could play in the first round. It seems like Zach agrees with that, but I would say the same thing, even if not prompted by Zach in the question. Um, it's not me saying the Cavs are bad because they're not. They've been playing great this year, but if I have a choice, I play the team that has no playoff experience, basically, and also some clear weaknesses on offense, et cetera. Uh, Darius Garland's really good, and so is Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, et cetera, but I think that the Hawks are, uh, honestly, I think the Hawks are better than the Cavs, to be honest with you, but this year, there's no argument for that. The Cavs have been better than the Hawks this year. I'm not saying otherwise. I think when you get into the playoffs, the Hawks have the best player in that series in Trey Young. They have uh, the more experienced team, et cetera. So I would take the Hawks against the Cavs. Uh, granted, they wouldn't have home court. That would definitely hurt. But if you make me, make, me, make me choose one team to play in a series among the top teams in the East, it'd be Cleveland. Beyond that, I would also pick the, uh, the Bulls as my sort of runner-up to answer the question that Zach asked. I don't buy the Bulls' defense really much at all. And I don't buy the Cavs offense just as sort of the same way. But the, uh, the Bulls defense, um, it's not really fair to them because they've been playing without Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso for a while. But defensively right now, they are not very impressive. I know they just lost to the Bulls, but uh, I think that's – that. I rather, let's just say this. I'd rather play the, the Bulls than I would rather play the Bucks or the Sixers or the Heat. That's all I will say about that. It does get tougher beyond that, as I just alluded to. Um, for one thing, it's not realistic that the Hawks would actually play – Brooklyn or Toronto in a playoff series. Maybe if Boston stays super duper hot and gets into the top two or three, the Hawks could play them in a series. But I think realistically, the teams that have a chance to be, at least the bigger chance for the Hawks to play in the first round would be Cleveland, Chicago, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philadelphia. I would not want to place Milwaukee, that's for sure. Um, Philly's looking good with James Harden, but a small sample size there. I need, I'm going to need some more information on that. And Miami's been playing, playing great this year. So, if you want more Eastern Conference coverage, by the way, I talked to Ben Ladner uh, extensively last week on the show as well. There was some uh, um, some roundtable stuff on the uh, feed as well from the Locked On Podcast Network. But let's just say if I had two teams to choose, I'd pick Cleveland number one and Chicago number two if I had to uh, pick one out right now for the Hawks. All right, we'll dive in now to what became – sorry, to what will become a pretty interesting game on Tuesday. So the Hawks traveled to Boston to play the Celtics on Tuesday evening in a primetime national TV spot. They're already in Boston right now. They traveled on Monday. The Hawks are actually 2-1 against Boston this year. They won the first two matches with John Collins in the lineup, and they actually lost um, to Boston on Super Bowl Sunday. And again, they led by like 10 or 12 points at one point, and they gave it all back and lost that one without Collins. That was obviously a, a swing against the Hawks, but they played reasonably well for parts of that game. Um, all three matchups, actually, in terms of the total, have been defensive-minded. They've been pretty ugly offensive numbers by both teams in three matchups this year. Um, the Hawks actually have some good defensive numbers against Boston this year, which is probably doing probably due to the Celtics not being great on offense overall. But Boston's defense is legit. They are very, very good on defense this season. Also, the Hawks have an extra day of rest built in here. Not a huge advantage because Boston played on Sunday in Indiana, but they had to travel on Sunday. The Hawks were a day uh, a day off there, so a small edge to the Hawks. 
Boston is 20 and 11 at home this year with a plus five net rating or so. The Hawks are 11 and 18 on the road with a minus two net rating. Not great there. Obviously an edge to Boston given the venue and what I'm sure will be a sold out crowd in, ter- in terms of a Tuesday night uh, big, con- big time sort of rivalry game. Um, Boston's recent play has been pretty incredible until Sunday. So they actually won 11 of 12 before they lost kind of bizarrely to the Pacers by 21 points on Sunday. I wasn't watching that game, but Indiana shot the lights out. So that might have been part of the reason why, but that's a pretty bad loss by Boston, actually. Still, for the full season, the Celtics are actually number four in the NBA in that rating, which is pretty crazy. They're number one in the NBA this January 1st. It's sort of an arbitrary endpoint, but still, they've been playing great lately. Uh, as I said before, defensively, Boston's excellent. They're number two in the league right now, number one in the East. I don't fully trust their offense, to be honest, but they've been pretty good lately on that end of the floor. And they also have those two high-end wing creators, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, so a tough matchup for the Hawks defensively, given what they actually do not have on defense. As I said before, the Hawks are 12 and 6 in their last 18 games with a top five net rating. They're actually a plus six or so net rating in those 18 games. Uh, that's very, very good and very encouraging. And if, the, if, that, if that team shows up, the Hawks have a puncher's chance in Boston. Injury wise, Boston actually has no injuries to report at all. So that's, uh, let's just say, an advantage for the Celtics. Um, on the Hawks' side, they'll be without definitely Lou Williams, who's going to miss his, uh, I believe, second straight game with, with left hip discomfort, and then probably not without, sorry, probably without John Collins on Tuesday. Collins is listed as doubtful with the right foot strain that he's been battling the last couple of weeks. It's a mild step forward. He was not ruled out a day early like he was on Saturday. Um, you know, originally coming out of the All-Star break, he's listed as doubtful. They didn't play. On Saturday, he was, he was ruled out on Friday. This time around, he's back to doubtful. So I'm not sure what that really means other than he's doubtful instead of out. But I'd be surprised if he played. Let's just say that it would be if he does play, he uh, will come back after five games in a row on the shelf. But if he doesn't play, it'll be a sixth, a sixth consecutive game uh, on the bench. So, And by the way, the first one of those games was against Boston in that game they lost uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. McMillan, by the way, said on Monday morning that Collins went through a light workout, was the way he described it, and did some shooting at practice on Monday, but no full-fledged running still on the foot, which I would be surprised if he plays in a game before he does that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So if I had to guess, I assume, I think you have to assume he does not play on Tuesday, even with the, even with the uh, doubtful listing at this point in time. But online, our friends there have no line as I record this on Monday evening, but it is a safe bet in my mind to say the Hawks will not be favored in Boston. Um, I would guess probably Boston by five, six points. Uh, in terms of the uh, projection and on the betting line, whenever that comes out, Boston, again, no injuries, playing at home, the Hawks on the road without Collins and without Lou, uh, a tough matchup to be sure. But it's still a winnable one. I think Boston is not, not like a juggernaut or anything like that. So it's a game where the Hawks are not supposed to win, quote-unquote, but it's a game where they probably need to steal one of these or two of these or three of these down the stretch, and uh, it's a good, a good chance to do that, by the way, in front of a big-time audience on Tuesday. And Trey, I'm sure, will have uh, his uh, his bright lights on in this one. But I will just say this, not to be a Debbie Downer, but the absence of Collins would be big. He is very helpful against Boston. He's very good against them traditionally. And uh, his lack of si- his the lack of size there, the lack of burst there, and athleticism there is definitely hurtful. We'll see how the rotation looks. But as I mentioned before, uh, by the way, if you missed it over the weekend, I broke down the, uh, the game in which the Hawks blew out the Raptors on Saturday. But they basically played an eight-minute rotation in that game. It was like eight and a half because Kevin Knox played, I think, three minutes basically in the first half. But I'm not sure if they'll do that again. But we'll see what the rotation looks like on Tuesday in Boston. And then we'll have a full breakdown of that game afterwards. But an interesting test for the Hawks, if nothing else. And then from there, they come back home to play Chicago. That's, a, that's also a tough game. So nothing easy to open up the second half of the season. Or I guess I should say second half in quotes because it's not really half. But 
there you go on that. All right, that's it. That's it for today's podcast. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast via your platform of choice. And also do us a favor. It will cost you zero dollars and zero cents. Only because only, only a couple seconds, honestly, of your time. But please subscribe to the show on YouTube. Lock on Hawks YouTube channel is up and running, and we need as many followers slash subscribers as possible. So please do me a favor personally and do that. I very much appreciate it. Please follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. And we'll see you all after the game on Tuesday.